good afternoon and welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi. Thank you for joining us today. You're hearing us on EWTN Radio, and uh, we're broadcasting from the uh, studios at the Coming Home Network International in Central Ohio. Uh, we have as our guest today Jennifer Fulweiler, who was the guest on the Journey Home program on Monday night. Jennifer, welcome to Deep in Scripture. Thanks. It's wonderful to be here. And, uh, and I appreciate you coming here. I'm not... Um, uh, Expecting you to join us as the uh, the the up and coming new biblical scholar theologian <laughs> right. because you're no. <laughs> you're really a fairly new convert, right? Uh, not just to the church but to Christianity itself, and I think that's a key for those of you that are n- were not able to hear the her full story on Monday night, and I would encourage you to do that. Go to ewtn.com, of course, and you can listen to the most recent Journey Home program. Uh, Assuming you may not have heard that, uh, Jennifer comes from an atheist background, and you know I was a Protestant minister for, for actually a Protestant most of my life, and then a Protestant minister for the last ten before my wife and I came into the Catholic Church. And I still, in those days, though I knew there were non-practicing Christians out there in the neighborhood, I still it was hard for me to believe that there were people in my neighborhood that really didn't talk about Jesus, didn't talk about God, didn't believe. And that would describe you. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. You know, I think I came from the opposite perspective where I I would look around and think, I wonder if anyone here really believes in God. That that would be so hard to imagine. And truly, I I really couldn't imagine it, and it seemed very surreal to me. So when you would hear someone talk, maybe you doubted that they really believed it. They would say it? Right. Okay, because you, within your own being, um, couldn't imagine God in the equation. Right. It would, um, I mean, uh, you know, as we said on the program, I, I'm not being flippant when I say, it to my ears, when someone talked about um, their relationship with Jesus, it was the equivalent to if, if they had said they'd, you know, seen a Smurf walking down the street. I would think, <laughs> you seem to think you believe this, <laughs> but it can't be true. And, and I, I was genuinely baffled by it. Were you content in that? I was content in the sense that I firmly, 100%, without a doubt, believed that, that it was true. Now, because, you know, my my dad very much raised me to be intellectually honest and to follow your beliefs to to their conclusions. And so I did realize that that is pretty unbelievably depressing if if all we are is just random chemical reactions and and everything we know of the human experience, it all just ends at death. So I didn't exactly like that. I found it very depressing and and I had a hard time answering the question like, why even get out of bed in the morning? You know, what's Mm -hmm. the point? But I I was firmly convinced that it was true. It seems that today... And we'll get to the scriptures in a little bit, but I, I'm still fascinated by this this idea because it seems today that this atheism is is seems to be increasing in America. Uh, it seems to be getting organized, and I've I've postulated that part of the issue is back after World War II, our country was very economically uh, growing and ambitious. And people had open ideas, and of course this led into the 60s, and it seemed that there was a growing idea that the responsible and loving thing to do for the children of this nation was not to impose 
a parent's ideas upon them, but to let them decide for themselves. So mm-hmm. I'm not going to take them to church. I'm not going to put my and maybe because the adults themselves were kind of going through a questioning time. So we ended up with a lot of young people brought up without any introduction into the faith. Does that parallel your own experience? Because your dad actually kind of had a conversion into <laughs> right. atheism. Right. Well, I I think I think you hit the nail on the head with what you said. I think my dad is actually kind of an exception in the sense that he's a, a very scientific type thinker. With him, I, I do think he just thought about it, kind of did some research. Um, you know, he had a lot of the questions that I had about, you know, why does every cr- Christian have their own different interpretation of the Bible? Um, he, he was lacking the fullness of truth on, on Christianity. And so he he concluded, you know, that, that God must not exist. Now, in the wider culture, I think that they, like you said, in the 1950s where we had this economic boom, there was this belief that we can find perfect happiness in the world. It's there it, if we just try hard enough to be happy. And what I see happening in, in among my parents' generation is a lot of them, when they fell away from faith, it was out of this idea of, you know, that their parents were saying, I just want them to be happy. I just want them to be happy. And I think that that's a really that that paves a road that leads directly away from faith. Yeah. Well, there's a a, a second law of thermodynamics (laughs) includes as a part of its teaching something called entropy, which is the measure of disorder, things moving from order to disorder. And the second law says that under normal conditions, that's the trajectory of things from order to disorder, unless you put energy into the system to bring order out of that chaos. And that's what we saw happen spiritually to our our nation. If we just let it happen, it's going to move in that direction. And so to a certain extent, that was was your background, even though indeed you you had a a father that, that led you in that direction. Um, and those of you may not be familiar with Jennifer's voice, but if you read blogs, <laughs> especially at the National Catholic Register, you will be familiar with her writings. She has her own personal blog site at conversiondiary.com, but you also write on National Catholic Register. Again, before we jump right into the scriptures, uh, what would you say is the, the, the focus of your writing on the blog site? Oh, great question. On my personal blog, I I feel very much led to simply tell stories. I'm just a storyteller over there. I I don't really um, go too much into the specifics of doctrine only to explain, you know, why I did what I did. I just share my story, and I hope that that brings in non-Catholics who just – they just want to hear a good story. You know, we all like a good story. Now, at the register – I take a more proactive approach, and I talk about a variety of different things, but I think that the thing that I hit home uh, the most is this war against women that we have in our culture, Mm -hmm. and particularly that contraception is the worst thing that has ever happened to women. And that's, you know, you'll notice a a theme in my writing that I may do a little, you know, jokey, funny piece about, you know, I wrote the other day how I'm tired of giving my kids snacks all the time, but but it ultimately kind of comes back to the Catholic Church is the only institution in this society that is really standing up for women right now. Yeah, you bring the issue of women up, and again, almost parallel with this this uh, this entropy moving away from the order of a faith-filled life to a disordered life that really is open to almost anything, 
uh, I'm of the generation that I think of men my age um, struggle with their understanding of themselves as a husband and a father because for many of us, because of when we were brought up, the traditional understanding of family was not necessarily pushed. And into that vacuum came feminism. So you have the strong feminine voices making men the guilty party for everything in family and marriage. And so you have this real battle with, do you have the two voices battling each other? Or do you have men saying, well, how do I live my role in family and culture with the strong, strong feminist voice that's still very strong in our culture? It, it's really sad, and I think I came across an online debate just recently. It, w- it was a really kind of nasty debate about, you know, I think a woman wrote, you know, I- I'm tired of the fact that there are no good men out there to marry. These men, they don't want to get jobs. You know, they don't want to support a family. And there was this outrage among men. I mean, you could tell it really touched a nerve of them <laughs> saying, but what about you women? You know, you keep saying you don't want men, and then we say, fine, we're going to go play video games. And I mean, the the level of vitriol in that debate showed me that not only is our society harming women, but but it's harming men too. Who, like you said, you know they they don't know what you know what it means what to to be a man these days. Our, our society is so confused. Well, the the struggle. If you look at the Ephesians five passage that talks about that, the order within the family, which is to parallel the church. I mean, it's right there. What you see is you know it does talk about the the wife's called to be submissive and the husband called to give up his life for his wife as Christ on the cross. All right. What you don't see in that passage is any call for the other side to force the roles on the other. Yes. You know, the husband is not called to demand or force submission on his wife. That's to be her free gift. Nor is the wife supposed to force the sacrifice of the husband for her. That's to be his free gift. And so if indeed you have, for example, men who in their in their convictions as Christian men desire to, to live out that role, but the woman has no desire to be free in her. The husband can't force it. Right. And so you end up with men saying, we're not here to force this role on us. You you want us to be a certain way? And that's what I'm saying. They don't know what to do. They can't force it. They don't want to push it. They don't want to demand it. They're called to be themselves submissive. Right. And so you end up with a, a very confused role for men today. And I don't think we've gotten beyond that yet. And it's it's really sad, and and I often, you know, I see the anger that, that that particular verse tends to bring out in our culture. And what it strikes me is that you know it seems to be a crisis of understanding what leadership is. I mean, they hear the idea of the husband being the head of the family, and they hear totalitarian dictator. But yeah. there are other kinds of leadership. I mean, even in even in the business world, if you've ever worked for a company that had a really good and gracious CEO, it's not a dictatorship. He's just he he's the head of the organization, he's the leader and every organization needs leadership. And and so it's it's a shame that that we have such a crisis in our culture that they can't see the wisdom in that verse. Even before Jesus gave his apostle apostolic leaders the call to forgive sins and even before he gave them the call of the Eucharist he washed their feet 
mm-hmm. and said, this is what you're going to, I want you to model for the rest of time, right. is the servant leadership. It's there, and that's what uh, we're all called to do uh, in our roles in the church and in the family. But, you know, this wasn't the topic we were <laughs> talking about, Jennifer. I'm sorry, but uh, you know, I appreciate your writing, and I encourage the audience to to check out your blog as well as, of course, National Catholic Register. Monday night when you gave us your journey, you didn't deal specifically with Scripture. And so we've got a few Scriptures, and usually what we ask the guest is a couple of verses they never saw. Right. And before we get into the verses themselves, is that what's true of these particular scriptures and why you chose them? Yes. I Well, I have to admit, I had to laugh when you said, you know, the scripture verses you never saw. I thought, well, <laughs> Genesis 1-1 <laughs> to the end of Revelation. like It's called the Bible. But, um, you know, e- even as... How many years you know, did you go without reading the Bible? Uh, 28. Wow. So, <laughs> and I mean, I didn't, I didn't go to Sunday school. I mean, I knew... As little as a person in Western culture could know about. For example, I did not know there was an Old and New Testament. I thought it was all one book. I figured Jesus came in on about page four. I, I, I truly you mentioned that Monday night. Yeah. I thought that was really fun. Yeah, I, mean, I, I had no, and, and I thought it would be more like it would have some call to actions, and it calls to action like if should you decide that you'd like to be part of this religion, you know. To, I mean, I was I was quite shocked by. Um, by, by what I found. So, yeah, the, the whole Bible was kind of a surprise to me. <laughs> but these particular verses, though, given that, that everything was new to right. you, but these particular verses, which we're going to look at in a moment, did connect to that idea for you. Yes, yes. They were, you know, as I've, I, I converted when um, when my second child was born, uh, who was close in age to my first. And so it's been a busy season. We now have five. My oldest is seven. So, you know, I haven't had time to, you know, become a scripture scholar, as you said, <laughs> but I have been, you know, trying to make up for lost time and, and really just absorb myself in, in the word of God. And so, yeah, these two verses that I chose were, were some that they're unusual. They're not often talked about, but they, they really hit me on a deep level and, and led to this moment of just just seeing Jesus Christ in a different way than I had seen him before. All right. Well, yeah, these are, are verses we would not normally right. <laughs> encounter on this program, which are great. Yeah. yeah. And I think be, maybe it takes us somebody totally outside for us to appreciate what's essentially between the lines. Right. And the first verse you've chosen is Colossians 4.18, in which, um, of course, this is uh, towards the end of Colossians, and Paul says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my fetters. Grace be with you. So that was so interesting to me because keep in mind, I had no idea what the Bible was. So when I first encountered it, I thought it would be this pie in the sky language of, you know, Jesus called, um, you know, Peter up to the clouds and they flew around with the angels. And I, I, I thought it was going to be very fantastical. And so as I started reading it, I, I was struck by just how kind of earthy it was. And, and the, the second verse we'll get to is, is kind of on that same theme. And um, when, I, when I saw that, that, that Paul is speaking in the present tense, you know, I'm writing this with my own hand, you know, I, I sometimes have this vivid imagination. And so immediately I picture, you know, a specific man who he had a specific 
birthday. And, and I thought, you know, I wonder if, if the weather was warm or cold that day when he was writing it. I wonder, you know, what, what was, did he have a cough? You know, was he tired? I mean, it just made me realize how very human this book is. And, and then, and then I was, you know, imagining what did his handwriting look like? And so I wondered, why would the Holy Spirit leave this in here. It seems like, why wouldn't the Holy Spirit inspire somebody to just maybe, you know, take it out as they were organizing the letters? Or I don't know, you know, have him not write it in the first place. But but I really felt, you know, the Lord using that to show people like me, this is real. I mean, this really happened. These are real people. And so for me, it brought me down to that, you know, real human level. And uh, what's in this, again, we, when we look at the context, Paul being in chains, writing to people who already, early Christians, already taking things for granted, right. already, right. first generation folk, yep. um, Galatians, there are already people coming up with new gospels, the new yep. spin. They don't want to listen to the leaders. And so here's Paul in chains. He, we know from his other letters that his first preference is not to be a blogger. <laughs> right. His first preference would be there face-to-face to talk with them because that's where he delivered the largest context of the teachings. Right. When he's writing a letter, he's assuming they've already received this information orally. That's right. the main way. So that was his presence. But there are people challenging his authority. Who's this Paul to tell us? Right. <laughs> you know, already. And he's this issue of with my own hand is the earthiness, but it's also his authority. Right. Yep. And and I think there's actually a surprising amount that can be cracked open here because, you know, how inspiring is just that those three simple words, remember my fetters. You know, as I mean, life is certainly, you know, hard some days. I I have five kids and my oldest is seven. And just to remember the challenges that that Paul faced and and in such a simple phrase. I mean, it's so easy to call to mind when you're when you're having a tough day to remember. It's not like, you know, the writers of the Bible had it any easier than I do. I mean, welcome to the Christian life. You know, we're we're all going to to have those struggles. And so um, that's another little phrase that that I often think of because it's it's easy to call to mind you know even in the midst of just the chaos of of everyday life yeah all through each of his letters he reminds them of what it has taken for them to receive this this message it and it wasn't just paul's fetters i mean it was all the other apostles it was stephen and and all of those who gave up a lot and here we are 2,000 years and flipping it, you know, take it so flippantly. Um, and even, you know, someone like you, the audacity of you to be an atheist. Yeah, it <laughs> was. <two> the, <laughs> right. You know, I mean, so flippantly, here we are. We have this great gift. But then it's a reminder. Uh, again, the point is every generation has to take it seriously. Right. Parents, we have to take it seriously every generation and not just assume our children pick it up somewhere along the way. Well, it's like we were saying earlier, you know, I, I think it is also a call to remember that this, you know, I just want them to be happy. I mean, it, it's very well-meaning. I understand as a parent how we fall into that mentality. But, you know, true joy 
only comes from Jesus Christ. And sometimes that's going to involve chains, you know, maybe literally, maybe figuratively, but we all have to suffer. And if we if we raise our children and, you know, just going towards their sort of, you know, base animal instincts, whatever brings them the most pleasure at the moment, that's, you know, as Paul says, remember my fetters. I mean, that's not a path to Jesus Christ. In those words, there is a hidden message from Paul to his listeners. Remember, you know, with my own hand, remember my fetters. There was probably an essence in which there was a message in that to Paul himself. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my fetters. Talk about that as a blog writer. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, he didn't, he didn't, he was limited on his space there. He was limited on his time. And, and as I know, you know, when, when you, you know, you have, you have something of an audience, people are going to listen to what you say. When you're limited on space, you choose your words very carefully. And so of all the things he could have said, that's what he chooses to say, you know, and, and, and as you know, for anyone who does any kind of writing, I mean, you prioritize quickly when, when you're short on space. And so I think that's another thing that strikes me just as a writer, you know, I, I really, I look at that three letter sentence and I, and I'm kind of blown away by it. That's what he, ch- that of all the things he could have said, that's what he chose to leave us with in his own hand. Well, let me ask you this. I mean, you're, you're a blogger that is, is on a well-read site, National Catholic Register. I'm a blogger. Mine's kind of under the radar, which is <laughs> kind of the way I prefer it because I'm, I'm really just an old football player trying to look like a farmer. You know I mean, that's, but is this true for you? When I write my blog, and I just happened to post it re- recently, that blog article sat on my computer for at least four days before I pushed that publish button for specifically what I see in here, because I'm putting this up there with my own hand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In other words, it represents a whole lot more than just the words on that piece of paper. Right. Remember my fetters. You know, in other words, behind that is a lot of stuff. Right. <laughs> exactly. Um, y- you know, I think that I have... I've changed a little bit over the years. I've actually been writing for various websites, uh, blog type things, going back to like 2001. And I, I often, you know, I, I wonder if, if Paul, you know, t- took a, a long time to think about it, or if he just, you know, wrote it down quickly. Because I've fallen into a pattern where I often, I, I tend to not let things sit on my computer too long because I often find that. The voice of the Holy Spirit gets clouded out, and my own second guessing, often, you know, based on on my own ego, because I'll think, um, you know, well, what are people? Maybe they'll think that this is a dumb thing to say, and and so, you know, I, I find actually that I'll, because it is so important, you know, because I'm putting my name behind it, and because I'm, you know, publicly identifying myself as a Catholic. I, I kind of put it out there quickly, and and I and I try not to let it sit on my computer too long because I feel like. That it helps me take my ego out of it and realize that I'm just I'm completely at the mercy of the Holy Spirit to to give me anything <laughs> worthwhile to say. I think the reason that I let it set is that I I recognize that when I push that publish button, I'm not just me. Right. I'm also the president of the Coming Home Network, right? Host of the Journey Home program, uh, the father of 
of my sons and, and the husband of my wife. I know you you think the same way on those issues. You know, it's just I want to make sure. Right. I'm not going to embarrass somebody. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think I am envisioned in Paul. You know, my view of Paul, both with Colossians and Ephesians, which I personally believe he wrote in the same situation under the same chains, but a two, you know, he, he dictated them usually to a, an amanuensis mm-hmm. who was sitting there. Uh, and I believe that he did this to be sermons at a baptismal. Um, and then one letter goes out, and then, oh, I've got it. He was writing one to Colossians. So he remembers a lot of the same stuff, right. but not necessarily word for word. That's why they're, they're a bit different. And there may have been an urgency during this time because of the time that he was writing. So there's a lot of that going in there. I doubt if he was thinking, let's see, they're going to be reading this 2000 Right, <laughs> probably not. the last thing that came in. <laughs> right. He's writing to these people. That was his main task. And let's just take a break now and come back. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grody, joined today by Jennifer Fulweiler, and you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. This Deep in Scripture radio program is produced by the Coming Home Network International, a nonprofit Catholic lay apostolate dedicated to helping Protestant clergy and laity come home to the Catholic Church. You can listen to any of our past radio programs by logging onto our website, which also offers a wealth of information on our Catholic faith, including conversion stories, an online forum, and available resources to help you to find the truth of our faith. Visit us today at www.deepinscripture.com. Get an insider's look at the latest information from EWTN. Sign up for WINGS, EWTN's weekly email newsletter. Get the latest information about live events, special features, and guests. Connect with EWTN on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. Just go to EWTN.com and click on the WINGS link to sign up. Don't miss a minute of all that's happening at EWTN. Get your WINGS today. CH Resources is excited to offer you Marcus Grody's latest book, Thoughts for the Journey Home. If you're not Catholic but are looking seriously at the Catholic Church, or if you've recently entered the Church, this book will provide you with wisdom and encouragement for the journey. And if you're a lifelong Catholic, it makes a great gift for family and friends you're hoping will come home. To order a copy, visit our website at chnetwork.org or call us at 1-800-664-5110. Don't forget to watch the Journey Home program with Marcus Grodi on EWTN. Each week, Marcus meets new guests who have journeyed to the Catholic faith from many backgrounds. Be challenged and encouraged as they witness to how their love for the truth of Jesus Christ has brought them into full communion with the Catholic Church. That's the Journey Home program on EWTN, live on Monday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grody, joined today by Jennifer Fulweiler. And Jennifer, again, it's great to have you with us. Uh, just a reminder, um, she is a, a, a internet writer, blogger, um, which cracks me up, you know, <laughs> uh, because G.K. Chesterton, blogger? You know, <laughs> I know. It <laughs> was not a word. Right. In those days, they wouldn't have had a clue. A blogger? What right. is that? I think a lot of people still don't know what it means. <laughs> But it's become a very respected uh, voice 
uh, fighting the battles. And we may get to that other verse in Second Timothy that I, I'd like us to get to if we have more time that deals with the time we're in in, in this battle. But there was one other verse. I wanted to remind you that also you were a contributor to a book, The Church and the New Media, by Brandon Vogt. All right. And, and it's uh, the problem with these kind of books, they're good, but they so quickly get out of date, right? right. Because the <laughs> Internet changes so right. quickly. That's right. scary how quickly things are changing. But another verse for us to look at in this program uh, is 1 Corinthians 13.1. Let me read it and then Jennifer jump in and why this verse is also key to you. Uh, Paul, after in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he's talking about the the very visible gifts of the Spirit that were being experienced in the church in Corinth. He then turns and says, well, wait a second, let me show you even a better way. And that's when he turns into the beautiful chapter 13 about love. But he begins it with this verse. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. You know, um, you know, speaking of that idea of, of the verse you never saw, I mean, I'm, I'm sure I came across that when I was, you know, first reading the New Testament. But it was when I saw it again, it, it really it, it was one of those aha moments of how could I have not? seen this. And that was the moment when I read that verse, when I first realized that even though, you know, the conversion process had been going very well, I'd read all the right books and I believed intellectually, it made me realize that I didn't have that relationship with Jesus Christ, Mm -hmm. that I, you know, I intellectually, I believed. And I had even been, you know, arguing against other atheists, telling them why, you know, they needed to to believe in Christianity too. But then when I when I saw that that verse in First Corinthians, I thought, do I really have love? And then I thought, you know, how do you how do you speak with such love? Like, I mean, this is such a gorgeous. I mean, it's really like a poem. That whole chapter thirteen. And I thought, I'm not doing that. Why am I not doing that? And that's when I realized that my conversion thus far had been a reading project. You know, it was more like like writing a doctoral thesis than coming to know the living God. So that that verse was, it was like, wow, I'd never seen that before. Yeah, the a parallel verse is in 1 John, in which he talks a lot about love. In one section says, um, if you say you love God but hate your neighbor, you're lying. Right. And love is not in you. And so it's an active thing. Did atheists think of love as an active thing? No. Love is, you know, you can't speak for all atheists, but certainly the predominant vibe was love is a feeling. And so, um, and and that's, you know, you you see that a lot in in divorce culture that, that, you know, I, I saw a lot of people in that culture who would say, I, the feelings aren't there anymore. I don't have the positive emotions, and so therefore I'm getting a divorce. Um, and and it was very sad, especially after my conversion, to realize that you know, I, it's certainly that that you know, in some cases, marriages have have many difficult problems. But but I really did see cases where, literally, it was by by these couples' own admission, it was nothing more than that that they they didn't have the positive rush of feelings when they thought about each other, so they thought that they were not in love. Which would describe, almost obviously, why couples will resort to whatever it takes, chemically, drug-wise, to somehow restore that feeling. Right. 
restore the excitement, restore whatever it would take to bring that back. And even to the point of um, they couldn't even talk about, well, you know, the feeling's gone, but I'm going to love you. I mean, the way that you would call to love a person if the feeling's gone. Right. They wouldn't even go there because by definition, hey, if the feeling is there, we move on until I can find someone. Or I found someone that felt this feeling and you're gone. Yep. And so it, I think maybe one of the reasons that I originally kind of skipped over this passage when I was first reading the New Testament was because I didn't even have this lexicon for this idea of loving someone if I didn't have positive feelings about them. I mean, I think I, what I would have said is even if I were trying, you know, in, in my very early, you know, sort of toddling way to, to preach the gospel, if I was feeling annoyed with the person, I would sort of throw up my hands and say, well, I don't love them. What can I do? You know, I can't, I can't help but be rude. That's, you know, that's, that's my experience. That's my feeling. And I didn't have this concept of it doesn't matter if internally I might be feeling agitated. I can still love them by showing them love through my actions. To an atheist, is believing an intellectual concept or a feeling? Depends on the person, but I, I – I think they would say it is an intellectual concept. I think they would say we have evaluated the evidence, we've evaluated the data, and decided that atheism is is the most reasonable position. However, you know, and I, I've it's sort of been a, a ministry, I guess you could say, that the Lord has given me. Given the nature of what I write about on my blogs, my email inbox is full of stories of atheists, former atheists, agnostics, in, in all different phases of conversion. And what I've come to see is. On the surface level, yes, it's it's. Um, I do think there is a lot of intellectual confusion in our culture right now, and that it these people, a lot of them, make intellectual decisions. But I I think that the root of it is always something a disposition of heart. You know, you can't you, you can't hear the truth unless you're open to it. And I you know uh, until you have that moment of openness, you're just you're never going to be able to hear it. Yeah, because the reason I was thinking that is if, if love is a feeling, and so if to love a person, that feeling somehow has to has to be uh, enticed or a good part of, of Christianity is loving God. And so if love of God is this feeling and I don't feel it, right? then... Uh, it's like an atheist can't even have a faith in God if it's a feeling. It's got to be there. If it ain't there, it ain't there. I think that's a great point, actually. In atheist circles, you'll hear them denounce this idea of feelings. We don't base any of our belief on feelings. But what I've found is that very often that is how it starts. They don't like to talk about this, but you know, maybe when they were in high school or college, they prayed to God. They didn't feel his presence. They didn't feel like they got an answer. And then they discover Richard Dawkins or P.Z. Myers, and it's and then the intellectual drifting away starts. But it started with that moment where they say, "I'm feeling bad. I don't feel." You know, we we have the term consolation. I think people they don't even understand that's a term that they say I'm lacking consolation. You know, somewhere yeah. in their mind, and then because of the the state that our culture is in, they think, "Well, that must mean." that God doesn't exist or that he doesn't love me, I must not love him, you know, if, if the feelings aren't there. Yeah. It's I like mean, a, a divorce in a way. Well, Wesley talks about, in his own conversion, John Wesley, about this warm, he felt this warmth that to him was a sign of the movement within his heart. And 
you often hear that people talk about it in their own conversion. Well, hey, if it ain't there for, I mean, you even mentioned it yourself, that, that when you first started praying, you were expecting right. that to happen, and it didn't happen. And and I, I took that to mean that God must not exist because through culture, cultural osmosis, I had just sort of learned, quote unquote, you know, I thought it was correct that you, you know, to know God is to have a bunch of feelings about God. And so when I first prayed and I didn't get those feelings, I thought, um, oh, well, that must mean that, that God doesn't mm-hmm. exist. But it's interesting that my, you know, it was then, as I said on the show, that I, I discovered a book that, that really turned me on to the possibility that, that Jesus was who he said he was. And and and, and so it was then that I um, – that was when I really – I don't know that 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 was when I sorry <laughs> I guess that was when I really realized that it has to be more than just intellectual because I did keep praying even though it was you know faltering you know bad prayers but I did I kept at it and I think that's when I started to see that it's this is an act of love in a way even though I'm not feeling anything. So when Paul goes on in verse four to describe what love is, if you love is an active effort that you do this. To another person, regardless of your feelings, you are patient, kind, not jealous or boastful, not arrogant or rude, especially rude. Remember that when we get back to it. Does not insist on his own way, is not irritable, does not rejoice in wrong, rejoices in the right, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. So in other words, bloggers that don't live by that... <laughs> are nothing but clanging cymbals and noisy gongs. We have it from Paul right there. It's true. I mean, and, and, and that's a temptation because the anonymity of the Internet, it tempts us, doesn't it, to, you know, to just say things that you'd never say to a person's face. And that, well, I mean, we need to just admit it, you know, when we are being clanging cymbals. Yeah, yeah. And again, some of those qualities he describes are exactly what you can hear behind some of the the internet writings that are very hurtful, you know, very rude, um, uh, not caring about the impact of what they're saying. And I think in some ways, I mean, I'm I'm not implying, Jennifer, with your (laughs) quickness of it, I think that's a gift, and I I appreciate that completely. But when I'm hesitant, it's mainly more out of my self-doubt before I push that publish button. But a lot of it is to make sure that I'm this way to anyone I might write about. That's And, you know, you bring up a good point. And I I, I will say, if there is... If I'm speaking about something that I'm passionate about, I mean, there are some times when I write a post, and these are the ones that I do quickly, where it's, um, you know, it's not a controversial subject. I am feeling at peace about it. And those are the ones that I think, you know, I don't look over it too carefully. But when I'm writing about something that I am passionate about or that other people are passionate about, or if I'm speaking on a topic where someone else has been in error, and so I'm kind of maybe gently correcting them or, or just, you know, showing a different perspective. Those are the ones I, they do sit on my computer for a while because like you said, I, I don't want to be a clanging symbol. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I think he, he was anticipating that, uh, <laughs> that love would involve the desire to be helpful to other people by writing. The right. most, sometimes the most loving thing we can do is indeed write because we have a responsibility 
to give, and we're going to look at that in a little bit at the next verse when we come back from the break, right. because we live in an age in which the, the truth needs to be proclaimed. But let's take another break. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grode. I am joined today by Jennifer Fulweiler, and you're hearing this on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. EWTN.com is online with program information, the latest news, Pope Benedict XVI, plus tools for living the faith like prayers, Catholic Q&A, and other resources. Log on today to EWTN.com. The Coming Home Network International is a nonprofit Catholic lay apostolate dedicated to helping Protestant clergy and laity come home to the Catholic Church. It was founded by Marcus Grodi, the host of this program, as well as the Journey Home television program on EWTN. If you are interested in learning more about our Catholic faith, or if you know someone who is interested in becoming Catholic, please visit our website at www.chnetwork.org or contact us at 1-800-664-5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grode. I am joined today by Jennifer Fulweiler, who's a, a blogger with the National Catholic Register. And um, I, I actually, she chose a list of verses that she never saw, and I just threw another one at her here that I, I'm not saying she never saw it, but uh, it was one she wasn't thinking of. But I, I think this verse by Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4 uh, says a lot to the internet world today, as well as the rest of media, um, the world that we're in. And when Paul is writing about the end times, it could, you can almost read this and say, yep, they've arrived. Uh, let me read this, Jennifer, for our audience, and then if you would reflect on this, especially from your experience, your years of writing, uh, about the context of the arena in which you write. Paul writes, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be urgent in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, and exhort. Be unfailing in patience and in, t- in teaching. And now verse 3. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itchy ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own likings, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander into myths. What do you think? I mean, I think it's, <laughs> it sounds like he was thinking of 2012, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, you're right that, that, that that is a verse I never saw or at least never you know absorbed. And when I hear that, it really impresses upon me the urgency for us not to ignore this this new realm, you know, this new media. Um, and that doesn't mean that every single person, you know, must have a blog, but it is the new public square. It is where dialogue is happening, and it is where people are falling into all sorts of, you know, strange teaching. And there are a lot of factions out there, religious and otherwise, who they are putting a lot of effort into Mm. their blogs and into their websites. And a lot of people who are truly seeking, you know, they're trying to find the truth, they're getting drawn into these things. And if we don't have faithful Catholic voices, you know, putting quality content, again, not being clanging symbols, but not only in the design, but, but also having beautiful words, you know, that bless and that speak the truth, then 
you know, we're going to lose people. And I particularly think this is a, an important subject today because in my own experience, having been a Protestant minister and then discovering the beauty of the fullness of the church, part of it was I had to be, be lured and corrected out of my context because I was in an unexamined context. Mm-hmm. I thought I had marked on my blogs, you know, at the top of your internet um, uh, browser, you can, you know, bookmark your favorite sites. Right. Well, many Christians, non-Christians, atheists, their lives are bookmarked with their favorite list, their favorite topics, their favorite people. That's who they listen to. Right. And they can be blinded into that, uh, you know, the horse that's got the, the, the things on their eyes. And so we have a responsibility to reach out to people. And our challenge on this program is those of you listening, are you blinded in the context in which you've always just assumed? And are you able to step back and look at, without hesitancy, truth? which is what your father was calling you to do. Right. And I mean in a way the lessons he taught me are what are what led me home to Christianity, you know, to become a Catholic Christian. It was that that idea of it doesn't matter if it's convenient. It doesn't matter if it's what you want to hear. It's you have to seek what's true. And you know, interestingly, he's actually been a big supporter of us as as Catholics um because he you know, he says I I don't understand why you came to the conclusions you did, but I support that you have not only sought truth, but, you know, he sees the sacrifices we've made for our faith. And he says, you know, I respect the fact that you follow your beliefs through to their to their logical conclusions. What about this phrase that Paul uses there? The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itchy ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own likings. Uh, you know, I, I think that that actually weaves in nicely to what we were talking about at the very beginning with, you know, the, the 1950s and, and people, you know, the, thinking their, their worldview, to, you know, talk about having blinders. I mean, there are a lot of people out there who truly have, in innocence, like never questioned the worldview that the whole meaning of life is to seek happiness. And so, you know, when, so I think that when they encounter some of these erroneous teachings that if it if it jibes with that worldview, then you know they think that it's true, and it and and there is a lot out there that is confirming that right now. This idea of you do whatever you want as long as it makes you happy, and that worldview that they've never questioned it, it gives them itchy ears, as Paul says. There is a you know concern amongst conservatives about the internet. There are some that think it's of the devil, and so they don't want it in their home. And yeah, if you're if you're not careful with certain sites, you, that's exactly true. Remember when I first introduced my father to the internet, uh, and uh, you know, Lord bless his, his soul. Uh, but he, uh, I was I was going to put him to a site, and I, I, instead of dot gov, I put dot com. Oh gosh, and got a completely <laughs> uh, pornographic yep, site yep. by accident. <laughs> I'm saying, Dad, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You know, I, and they, so there's that that side of it. The positive is, and this is where I think bloggers like yourself are important, is that there are people in this world that because they're caught in the blinders of their particular culture, may not have been able to be reached in any other way than with this new media. 
Yeah, and I think actually a great example is look at EWTN. I mean, you know, 20 years ago, I think the debate was, is television evil? Is, you know, radio, there's so much nasty stuff on the radio out there. And then EWTN has come along and said, we're going to take this back. You know, we're yeah. going to we're going to go out there and we're going to put quality content out there and we're going to use this media to bring souls to Christ. And so I think that the internet is no different and that's one of the reasons I'm so excited to be at the National Catholic Register is I think they're doing with the internet, you know, just it's an extension of what EWTN has already done with uh, television. When Paul wrote this letter, we assume it was from one bishop to a young bishop, you know, Paul to Timothy. Yeah. And this was many considered maybe Paul's last letter, but, you know, different scholars. But also we know when we read this that there's a level in which this is the Holy Spirit talking to each of us. So to you, Jennifer, verse 5, what do you think? This is the charge to you. As for you, always be steady, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Yeah, the two words there, endure suffering, you know, it, it hits me like a ton of bricks. I, I think we were saying earlier that, um, you know, the, the the difficult thing about the Internet is that there is interactivity, and it is anonymous, very often, interactivity. And so, you know, you put a, a blog post out there, and, you know, maybe you say something that's not perfect. You know, may, maybe you have an imperfection, and under under the veil of, you know, not using their real names, people will come along and they'll accuse you of the worst motives, you know, oh, they see now you're you're the terrible person they always thought you were. And in a way, you become kind of a punching bag, you know, for for everyone who's having a bad day. And I would say, you know, to, to anyone who, you know, is thinking about having an online presence, you really read this verse and think about it, you know, think about this this idea of you have to endure suffering because it, it's tempting to to lash out you know to do a new blog post saying this person's terrible they're stupid they're wrong and and I think everyone who has an online presence Facebook or you know whatever will face that temptation and I think we we really need to turn to this verse and um, use that as inspiration of we as Christians do not have the luxury of doing that we have to we cannot go become clanging symbols we have to speak in love and yes that will involve suffering when people are misunderstanding us and they're insulting us, but that is what we as Christians are called to do. Yeah, be unfailing in patience and in teachings. I mean, uh, teaching patience it, it oh. is, <laughs> is, the, is really important. It's, it's so important. I mean, to be honest, I, I really can't tell you how much I struggle with, with patience, especially um, you know, one, one of the wonderful things about the register is, you know, we are really reaching people who, who are not part of the faith, really part of any faith. Now, what comes with that is there are a lot of people who they hate Christianity. They hate the Catholic Church. And we get to hear what they have to yeah. say to us. And I will tell you, I mean, that's it's it's really a huge personal struggle for me. And, and there are a lot of times that um, I honestly I have to turn it over to my husband and just say, I'm thinking about <laughs> writing this, but I am in a very angry place. And he'll say, yeah, don't don't write that. <laughs> so I, it, it takes an incredible amount of patience to, um, you know, to speak in charity and love. And, and I certainly don't do it perfectly. I, I'm not trying to say I do, but it, it is certainly the thing that um, we all need to set our eyes on. Yeah, I've. I once someone pointed out a, a website that was saying a bunch of things about me, oh. just ripping and just what? really negative. But anyways, the point <laughs> was, um, I emailed the the person and said, you know, 
why didn't you write me first where you put it up there? Because that's what the scripture says you're supposed to do to your brother. And yeah. he wrote back, but you're not my brother. <gasps> oh. In other words, I'm a Catholic, and therefore I'm not his brother as a fundamentalist Christian. And I, I remembered that and said, well, okay, from his perspective, he just doesn't understand my perspective. I'm called to be patient, called to be everything that Paul says here. That's the way we're, we're to respond. And, and that really is the call. And I do think this platform that you've been given, Jennifer, is a powerful one as you think about the opportunity to represent yourself as well as our Lord in the blogging world. So thank you for 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 that work. Um, and uh, we are in a difficult time, right? Oh, without question. I mean, anyone who's alive can just look around and see how tough it is. All right, because you were saying yourself that one of the key issues that brought you into the church was the, the contraception debate. Yes. And we're in the midst of that today. It's huge. All right, Jennifer, thank you for joining us on the program. It's been so great to be here. And let's see, conversiondiary.com is your personal blog. Personal blog. And also with National Catholic Register. So keep up the, as Paul said there, keep up the good work, you know, uh, even if suffering comes your way. (laughs) Thank you very much. I appreciate it. (laughs) Thank you, Jennifer. And thank you for joining us on this program. I hope it's been encouragement to you. In case you don't know, if you want to find out more about our work, go to chnetwork.org. That's the Coming Home Network website. But of course, if you really want to know a lot of good stuff, go to EWTN.com as well as National Catholic Register. So God bless you and see you again next week.